morning. Good to see you all again. Uh, last uh, two weeks ago, and when I was here, I said that we were regular attendees at Vancouver Chinese Baptist, but not frequent, about once every two years. And that, of course, is because we're in Indonesia most of the time. But here we are back again two weeks later, so I think our average is improving. Let's listen to God's Word, which is taken from the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, starting at verse 5 and going through to verse 25. Luke 1, chapter 5, or Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for for this word, for this event so long ago that has such great meaning for us today. We pray that you would speak through your word to us that we may follow in obedience and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, two weeks ago, we looked at a text from Isaiah. And in that text, the prophet says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And we saw that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy through his life, bringing us knowledge of who God is, what God is like. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy through his death, redeeming us and exchanging us, exchanging our sin for the goodness of God. And he fulfilled it through his resurrection, which allows us to enter into the life and into the presence of God. Today, we fast forward almost 700 years from the Assyrian Empire to the Roman and from the Old Testament to the New. We're not yet at the Christmas event, but after a long silence in which no prophet spoke, the pace is accelerating. Things begin to happen when the Lord sends an angel to a man named Zechariah. Now, before we get into Zechariah's story, I want to pause and invite you to take a look at this full sweep of the Christmas story. We picked it up from Isaiah two weeks ago, but really it goes all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve. Despite their disobedience and fall, God told the serpent that deceived them that he would be cursed by Eve's, he would be crushed by Eve's offspring. We can see that this was looking forward to Jesus. God made a covenant with Abraham and said that he would become a great nation and that all nations on earth would be blessed through him. He called Moses to deliver Israel out of slavery and give them the law. Moses then told the people that there would be another prophet who would come after him whom they must listen to, again anticipating Jesus. God chose David as Israel's king and promised that the Messiah would come through David's line and that his kingdom would have no end. He spoke through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, and all of the other prophets. They were all looking ahead to the birth of Christ. And in the view of Scripture, Jesus' birth would be the defining end in the history that was just to come. Many of us will have heard these things since we were in Sunday school. But let's not let our familiarity with them cause us to lose our wonder. The Christmas story is the story of God's purposes for the world. And there's no story anywhere anything like it. Leslie Newbigin was a missionary to Indonesia and a writer and a scholar. He tells us what a Hindu scholar once said to him about the Bible. I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It's not a book of religion in any way. We have plenty of books of religion in India. We don't need any more. I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole of creation and the history of the human race. There's nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. I myself have been reading the Quran over the last little while. Uh, we serve Muslims in Indonesia, and it's important as we serve them to understand what they believe. The Quran is unlike the Bible in that it was written at one point of time from one point of view. And yes, it looks back, and actually I often repeat some of the, the stories that we have in our Bible, but it's not a story that starts at the beginning and goes to end. It doesn't have any clear sequencing, and we don't really get this sense of God's story from beginning to end. So the Hindu religious scholar is right in seeing that the Bible is a great narrative with a purpose. 
And in both the Old and New Testaments, Jesus is at the center of that narrative. Now, what's this got to do with Zechariah? Well, if you notice the sermon title in your bulletin, you'll see that we'll be looking at Zechariah as a person of faith. If we ask where this faith comes from, we'll be able to understand better if we see this grand sweep of the biblical narrative in the background. So who was Zechariah? Well, Luke tells us that he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, one of the families that traces its origin back to Moses' brother Aaron. Zechariah's wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So they were in the line of the Levites, a tribe entrusted with the priestly duties of Israel. That means that Zechariah and Elizabeth had grown up as active participants in the story of Israel and her God. They were pastor's kids. That meant that Zechariah had the right credentials. He was God's priest, serving God's people in God's place, the temple. And this was an auspicious day for Zechariah. He was actually only one of some 18,000 priests, so he would only serve in the temple about twice a year. But it was a once-in-a-lifetime honor to draw the lot and take the incense into the holy place. So not only was he in the right place, it was the right time, the one and only time that he would lead this holy worship and prayer. Now Luke highlights Zechariah's qualifications and the timing of this moment to show that what was about to happen was part of God's plan. But why Zechariah and not one of the 17,999 other priests? Most, if not all of them, would also be Levites. And he would not be the only one to offer the incense and prayer. Well, we can't know the Lord's motivations for sure, but Luke does say something important about Zechariah and Elizabeth. We find it in verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Righteous, obedient, and blameless. Luke commends this couple to us. And these exemplary qualities are great talking points. So you might think it's a bit weird that I've chosen to talk about Zechariah's faith. The text doesn't actually talk about his faith. Or at least it doesn't talk positively about his faith. As we get into the story, we find that right at the most crucial point, Zechariah didn't believe the angel. So that's not exactly a shining example of faith, is it? So why do I say that Zechariah had this great faith? Well, it is here in the text, but it's not explicit. I can affirm Zechariah's faith because the text shows us how God sees him and his wife. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. What is faith? Faith is when we believe, isn't it? when we're really certain that something's true. But how do we know if somebody believes something? How does somebody else know if we believe? If we say so? Yes, we notice if someone expresses a strong conviction. But we also make some kind of internal evaluation of what they're really saying. Do they really believe this? Or are they just saying it because that's what people want to hear? Can I trust this person? What do I know about him? Does he keep his promises? Is the conviction confirmed by action? 
my kids sometimes say to me, Daddy, if you just buy this one thing, we won't ask for anything more for three months. Do I believe that? I'm convinced that Zechariah was a person of great faith, not because he says so, not even because the text says so, or not in so many words, but because he obeyed God. Do you remember the Israelites of Isaiah's time? They observed the religious festivals, but they were corrupt and defiant before the Lord. And, of course, the Lord knew it. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Two weeks ago, I quoted another phrase from Isaiah. Your incense is detestable to me. Yet here we see Zechariah going into the temple to burn incense and being visited by an angel. That's a pretty powerful sign of God's approval. The difference between Zechariah and the Israelites of Isaiah's time is that Zechariah lived by God's word. And that has to mean that he believed it. That's the only credible explanation for his observance. He believed God's promises, so he waited in faith to see them fulfilled. He believed God's warnings, so he walked in fear of the Lord. His faith was visible to the people around him, and it was visible to God. The text says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of the Lord. So the first thing that we can say about Zechariah, about his faith, is that he had a living faith. He believed in the living God, and it showed in the way that he was living his life. In a few minutes, I want to explore the implications of this with you. But before we do that, let's look at what happened next. God chose Zechariah and Elizabeth to play a critical role in the coming of the Messiah. An angel appeared to him to announce what that would be. The angel's first words give us another reason to affirm Zechariah's faith. His first reaction to seeing the angel is fear. The angel calms him. Do not be afraid. And then he says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Your prayer has been heard. Zechariah was a man of prayer. It seems clear that the specific prayer was that they would have a son, a child. But it's also clear that this prayer was against all of the odds. We're told that Elizabeth was unable to conceive and that both she and Zechariah were very old. Yet he still prayed. He was a person of faith. And the answer to his prayer was more than he could have imagined. This son will be a joy and a delight candle of joy. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will bring the people of Israel back to their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah is to name the son John. In Hebrew, it means Yahweh, the God of Israel, is gracious. And, of course, this John is John the Baptist, the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And that was another prophecy of Isaiah, by the way. So Zechariah's prayer has been answered. His hope has been exceeded. Yahweh has shown his grace to the man of great faith and prayer. 
so his faith is strengthened, right? Not so. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So there's a new dynamic in Zechariah's life of faith. His faith is challenged. Zechariah lived in the great narrative of Israel's God and Israel's hope. He kept God's commands. He walked in righteousness. He prayed the prayer of faith. Now God's angel is standing before him saying that his prayer has been answered. And he doubts. We know the rest of the story. The angel announces his name. I am Gabriel. His credentials. I stand in the presence of God and his mission. I have been sent to tell you this good news. Gabriel tells Zechariah, the old man, that he will be an expecting father. But now he'll be a silent expecting father. He won't be able to speak a word until after the son is born. So what's happened to our great man of faith? Yes, there's more to the story. Outside of the temple, there's great excitement over these happenings. The people understand that Zechariah has seen a vision. And Elizabeth does get pregnant. So there's excitement and joy in Zechariah's home. But what can we learn from Zechariah if we're trying to understand this as a story of faith? We've seen two movements in his journey. He's moved from a living faith that comes from obedience to a challenge to faith that comes just as God is answering his prayer. Now, I believe that we have Zechariah's and Elizabeth's here with us this morning. I'm going to ask you three questions that come out of this exploration of faith. Now, as I do, I want to invite you to reflect. If you've experienced God's grace or blessing from Zechariah's story, give thanks. If you're encouraged by his example, ask God to keep you encouraged. If you're challenged or Zechariah's story highlights an area of struggle for you, ask for the Lord's help. And actually, I didn't plan it this way, but it turns out that these questions have a past, present, and future dimension. The past dimension, the question is, what's the foundation of our faith? Zechariah's faith was grounded in the faithfulness of God, in that great narrative of creation and covenant and promise and fulfillment. It was grounded in history, the calling of Abraham and the liberation and election of Israel, in the raising up of King David and the prophecies of the Messiah. I believe there are Zechariah's and Elizabeth's among us because you and I are part of that great story. And if you've been in the church since you were young, you will already have a strong sense of this. But even if not, be encouraged because you're part of that narrative too. Christian faith is not something out of a novel or trending on BuzzFeed. It's based on real events and the purposes of God. The Christmas event was foretold by the prophets. It's not rumor or speculation. And Christmas is a great time to remember and reflect on these foundations, on God's plan for the world. It's a time to be strengthened in our faith. The question of the present dimension, is our faith visible? Is it a living faith? Does it make a difference in our lives? 
If we want to live according to God's purposes, our faith should be able to be seen in our faithfulness to him. It was for Zechariah. He believed in God's promises and he wanted to be part of them. He believed in God's warnings and he took them seriously. He observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I believe there are Zechariah's and Elizabeth's among us today because we want to be faithful. We want a living faith. We want to grow in our faith. One of my favorite sayings of Jesus and the disciples is when Jesus asks them if they believe, and they say, we believe, increase our faith. Yes, we believe, but we want to grow in our faith. When we look at Zechariah, we see that faith needs to be demonstrated in every area of our life. The command to love our neighbor is equally applicable in our workplace as it is in the church community. Honesty is required at tax time. It's required in our families. And if you're like me, you'll see this as a call to examine ourselves. Is our faith real, visible, living in all areas of our life? If it's not, what do we need to do? The question of the future dimension. Are we bringing our future to God? Zechariah brought his sadness, his hurt, his wife's feeling of disgrace. He brought these things to the Lord in prayer. It's actually the natural thing to do, isn't it, if we believe, to pray about our needs, our concerns, our hopes, our doubts, our need for guidance. Yet it's easy to forget. Without realizing it, we can start thinking and acting as though some problems are too difficult for God. In reality, it's especially the tough issues that we need to bring to him. Jesus told a parable of a widow showing up at an unjust judge's door in the middle of the night to ask for justice. And the text very specifically says that Jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that so that they should always pray and not give up. I believe there are Zechariah's and Elizabeth's among us because we want to pray and because we do pray. What's your prayer for this Christmas? What does God want to do in your life? Could it be something against the odds? A goal out of reach? A reconciliation too difficult? Will you bring it to the Lord? But what now about Zechariah's disbelief? God sent Gabriel to answer his prayer and announce this incredible blessing. Yet Zechariah questioned whether it could really be true. Well, it turns out he's human too. Have you ever prayed for something and then been completely surprised when God actually answers? I have. It seems like that couldn't be possible. I'm quite sure that I didn't pray hard enough or long enough or sincerely enough for God to answer but then he answers anyway. Wow. So it wasn't really dependent on me, after all? God wants to see his purposes fulfilled in our lives and in the world. But Zechariah wasn't quite ready to believe that God wanted this for him. So the Lord said, I'm going to give you the opportunity to think about that, Zechariah, in silence for about nine months. 
Did Zechariah think about it? I think so. Did Elizabeth get pregnant and have a baby? Oh, yeah. And what was his name? We can read what happened a little later in Luke's Gospel. Zechariah still couldn't speak, so he wrote on a tablet. His name is John. Luke tells us, his mouth was opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak in God. And what do you think happened to Zechariah's faith? I think it shot straight up in the direction of heaven. And that was the third movement in Zechariah's journey of faith. It started with a living faith, then it became a faith under challenge. Now it's a faith renewed, supercharged, transformed. And what did he say? Christmas is coming. Actually, Zechariah said it more eloquently than that. I'm going to conclude by reading a passage starting at verse 67 of Luke 1. Just a little bit past the passage we read this morning. And this passage is known as Zechariah's song. Zechariah is the one speaking. Now as I read, listen for the things that we've talked about. Zechariah's rootedness in the story of Israel and the faithfulness of God. His desire to serve the Lord. And now his complete confidence in God's future and the coming Messiah. This is Zechariah's song of faith. John's father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people a knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. I pray that this song of Zechariah, this song of faith, can be our song too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this awesome story but more than a story, the history of your dealing with your people, moving ever closer towards the Christmas event. We thank you that you chose people to be your vessels for your word, for your salvation. And we thank you for Zechariah, who 
was faithful to you, who wanted to obey all your commands and decrees, who lived righteously and lived the life of faith. And so we pray today that you would strengthen our faith, that you'd help us to remember and celebrate all that you have done, that you will help us to live a living faith, and that you will keep us depending upon you for all things now and for all time. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.